This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard for up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello, and welcome to the Republic of Football show that wonders, does anyone in Texas want to be good? I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here sitting with Mike Craven. Somebody who knows which team at least wants to be good, UTSA. Mike, how are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Watched the other team that's really good in the state, TCU, last night in person. So uh, we got two We got two we conference two. contenders. We have two. We have two. Uh, somebody who was watching a team that still trying to figure out if they want to be good, Mallory Hartley. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I can tell you for a fact they do not want to be good. So <laughs> <laughs> Let us watch you be great, other teams in the state. Um, we talked about it, or Mike Craven hinted at it off the top. That's what we're going to start with. We're just going to jump right in. Seven, TCU 17, Texas 10. Um, Mike, you were there in the building. I want you to tell me if what I saw was correct. I saw two defenses that had pretty good game plans Right going in. I thought Texas wrecked a really good TCU defensive line, or offensive line, I should say, with a great pass rush. I thought TCU... Really, one, the run game was not there for Texas at all. And I think TCU did a very good job of that. Um, But I also think I saw two offenses not, at times, not play to their best ability, whether that was because of offenses or play calling or whatever. I thought TCU got a little bit too screen heavy, and I get it. The the pass blocking wasn't there, but I thought there were some underneath routes that were working at times that they kind of abandoned pretty quickly. Um, and then I thought Texas did the Texas thing where they kind of relied on the deep shot a little bit too much. And yours again, had another off game. We'll talk about him. Craven, what did you see in the building there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty fair. It, it felt like a boxing match where they came out and each wanted to feel each other out for a little bit. You know, you could mm-hmm. tell each uh, offense had a pretty conservative game plan. And as you mentioned, a lot of it was because of the offensive line. It's super hard to call plays when you can't block. Right. You know, you can't run the ball to establish that. You can't uh, block long enough to drop back. Um, so you're left with, you know, either true screens or quick outs uh, outside, you know, kind of bubble screen stuff. And TCU's wide receivers weren't able to block Texas's defensive backs either. So there was a couple mm-hmm. of those bubble screens that are usually pretty effective for TCU that Texas just blew up. Texas's defense was excellent. Absolutely yeah. excellent. Similar to the Alabama game, right? Where it was like all you needed was a little bit from your offense and you win that game at home. And instead... Uh, you couldn't get, do it. Do we want to talk more right now about Texas or TCU? Which one do we want to start at? Um, because I know we're going to talk more about Texas overall, let's start with TCU. Okay. Uh, just get it out of the way. It was a good win for them. Obviously, everybody had talked about Texas, which is why we'll talk more about them right. later. Yeah, I from a TCU perspective, I thought this was one of their mo- most impressive wins of the year because mm-hmm. it wasn't working. Right. We think of TCU as an offensive team. They're averaging over 40 points a game um, and they were held to 17 uh, and they only had three at the first half and they were still ahead. Right. You score three Mm -hmm. points in the first half on the road against Texas with one hundred and four thousand people in the stands. And you're ahead 
Yeah. And so I, I think Joe Gillespie you know, deserves a ton of credit. You know, what was ironic to me is they beat, T- they beat Texas in the most Gary Patterson way possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> they beat him with point. defense, they beat him with toughness and they just outlasted them. You know, even, even at the end there, when Jade Barron uh, takes that fumble back for a touchdown and makes it 17 to 10, and there's still four minutes and something left and Sark still has timeouts. TCU goes three and out, punts the ball, and Texas has a chance to go score. Instead, TCU's offense that just gave up that big play runs and runs and runs and gets first downs, takes the clock, and ends up kneeling the clock and having a four-minute-plus drive uh, to ice the game. So uh, there was things that got exposed for the Horned Frogs, that offensive line not good, especially pass blocking. That needs to improve a lot. They were abused. Uh, There was times where it looked like Texas was just running straight at Max Duggan. You know, like, like there wasn't an offensive line there to block them at all. Um, so right. that's concerning. Uh, but the defense was excellent. The secondary was excellent. I thought the linebackers were really good. And the way that the game plan was, was he basically put a nose tackle over the center, two big defensive tackles over each guard, and just let the linebackers run. And guys like Shadre Banks, uh, D. Winners, Johnny Hodges, those guys had excellent games. Um, so really impressed with TCU. Another big win. And we've talked about it before. All they have to do is win out. You know, they mm-hmm. don't have to win mm-hmm. impressively and all that kind of stuff. They just have to win out. And so uh, the defense played excellent yesterday. I think that was kind of the biggest question for TCU was, was the defense as good as the offense? It, it proved that it can be. And so I think right now, if you're a Horn Frogs fan at 10-0, and clinch your spot in the Big 12 championship game already. Um, you know, there's not, not much bad to say about TCU right now. Every, every week it feels like, you know, it looks like they're not playing all that well or it looks like they're about to lose and they just end up with a win and they're undefeated and, uh, it's been a it's been an impressive march for Sunny Dykes for sure. Yeah, I think last thing on TCU before we get to the, the other side, I, I I do think that it says something that they were able to really expose how tired the Texas defense was late. Right, you talked about that 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 fumble recovery for a touchdown, and that was more that was again that wasn't caused by Texas. That was a misread on a mesh a mesh point at the on the zone read. So outside of their own mistake they were basically they basically had that game completely won and completely on ice and i think the fact that imari demarcado and kendra miller were just able to mash that texas front seven late after they'd been on the field for a couple times and like you mentioned right after that fumble they just said okay cool we're running the ball again and just like absolutely went at him um demarcado had like a couple plays where he just like ran over a linebacker i forgot who it might have been cook um where you're just like jesus like tech their defense is just that they've been holding it together all game. And then finally they just kind of let loose. So yeah, I agree. This is a very impressive win. All right, let's get to the other side, Texas. Um, I came to your, I, I came to your point about Texas be needing this game more. The more I saw game day, the more I saw what probably the most recruits ever. I think I've seen at a Texas game, at least high profile mm-hmm. recruits. Um, I think, uh, I forgot who tweeted. I think it might've been Christina Huang who tweeted out the, the, the bubble of people on the sidelines, like an hour before kickoff or 30 minutes before kickoff. And it was just like, you felt the hype, right? Obviously second biggest crowd inside DKR. And then to come out like that. And I don't know. Do you want to start with the Quinn Ewers conversation? Where do you want to start? Uh, (laughs) I think the Quinn Ewers conversation is the second most interesting conversation. Uh, first is just what you just mentioned, the missed opportunity and how thin the margins are for a place like the University of Texas. You have a a group of recruits there 
that if they formed their own team would have been a 10 point underdog in that game, right? Like that's how good the talent was at that game. The best quarterback on campus that day was probably in sweatpants on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. right? So like you have Anthony Hills there, you have a chance to really turn momentum and prove to the nation that Texas is quote unquote back in, Mm -hmm. in national relevance, right? Instead, you score three points and you score zero points in the first half. You don't get your first first down until the second quarter. Uh, You throw the ball a thousand yards down the field every single time. Sarkeesian treats Quinn Ewers like he's Aaron Rodgers, Mm -hmm. right? Like he's proven for years that he's capable of doing this stuff when he hasn't. Like he Mm -hmm. just he just hasn't. The best Mm -hmm. Quinn Ewers has ever looked is in a first half against Alabama when nobody has tape on him. You know, then he gets injured, then he comes back. He looks pretty good against the Oklahoma team that I think we can all agree just stinks, just flat out mm-hmm. stinks. Right. Since then, he's been bad. He's completed 45% of his passes over the last three games. Some of that is on Quinn and his inability to hit wide open receivers. But then some of that is on Sarkeesian's stubbornness for not giving him easier passes. And we talked about this, I think it was the week you were out. Maller and I talked about this after the Oklahoma State game. Why is Quinn Ewers untouchable? Yeah. Like mm. eventually, like you're not just playing for next year. You're not three and six, right? This season's not over. You have a big 12 championship game that you could still go win. Yeah. And you see a quarterback that's just completely struggling. You see an offense that's completely struggling and Quinn's not mobile. At least Hudson gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of mobility to run around and create some stuff off script. Uh, but Sark is so entrenched in his offense and what he thinks is going to work. And he's so entrenched in his quarterback and the guy that the University of Texas paid a lot of money and and guaranteed Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to get there. And they're unwilling to back off of that. And it's cost them. It cost them against Oklahoma State. And now it cost them again uh, against TCU. And so uh, they're minus 83 in the second half in the 11 losses under Steve Sarkeesian. They're 11 Mm. and 11 under Steve Sarkeesian. Tom Herman in his second year, after inheriting a Charlie Strong team that was in the ground, went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Georgia in his second year. I mean, I know Arch is committed, and that seems to give Sark a lot of leeway, and Texas has fired a couple coaches in a row, and so people want to act like he has more rope than all these other coaches, but if Herman was 11-11 after his first, you know, 22 games, Charlie Strong's 11-11 after, like, they're getting getting creamed, right? People are calling for their heads. It's getting close to that time in Texas where you were going to start hearing about Steve Sarkeesian being on the hot seat. Because like we'll talk about later with A&M, when you pay that much money for a football program, not just the coaching staff, but the players on it, right? The media gets to park in the Brazos parking garage, just like the players do. And when you walk back to your car, you see the cars in that parking lot. You know, like Mm -hmm. there there is money getting spent at the University of Texas. And it's not to go six and four and watch the guy you passed up to hire Sark go 10 and 0 in Fort Worth with Gary Patterson's guys. Sure. I think, you know, we mentioned a little bit about the tough juggling game that Sark probably has to play with Quinn Ewers, right? We, we presume that one of those guys will be on campus. One of those guys won't, but, and I, and I, when we had that argument, we had, we made that point at that time. It wasn't more, it it felt like more of a Quinn Ewers is going to figure it out. Right. It felt more like that. It felt more like a, this is just a slump. This is just things like that. Now you're at a point where you know Arch Manning is coming on campus, right? One, I'm chomping at the bit if I'm Arch Manning saying, yo, I'm enrolling in spring. Let's see what I can yeah. do, right? 
Um, but also, you know that you got this kid signing early. You know he's coming in early. You, it's not a. I'm at the point now where I'm like, it's not a. I don't need Quinn Ewers in the building if I think Arch Manning is the guy potentially, right? That, and if so, this is what Quinn Ewers is. You don't. I was about to say, yeah. If, if this is what Quinn Ewers is. Yeah, then I'm not as upset about upsetting Quinn Ewers and and starting Hudson Card now, because and there was the there was a perfect example was because uh, of course we should also mention Texas went over in the red zone right absolutely just like yeah. you know they had they had chances and they just couldn't punch it in. Play calling was crazy in the red zone. They had oh, yeah. seven seven to go, goal line play calls and he called six passes. Yeah, it Six. was again, again with, and I know the run game wasn't working, but when your pass game and your quarterback is off <laughs> and oh, I wanted to talk about, so it was the fourth and goal. That's what I did want to talk about. It was the fourth and goal late uh, or middle of the third, fourth quarter. A summation of exactly what's wrong with one, the chemistry between uh, Ewers and Worthy just not being there. The read was to JT Sanders and he locked in on JT Sanders into triple coverage and completely missed Worthy on an out wide open on the other end. He planted his foot, took a took a took a look towards Quinn Ewers, and Ewers the ball was already out of his hands, going to JT Sanders incomplete triple coverage. And at the top of the screen, you could see Worthy stomping his feet like, "Yo, what what is that? You know, I am wide open." And I, I want to see like, "Oh, was he wide open after he already threw the ball?" No, as he's winding up. He's cutting, a Worthy's cutting, and like is about to separate. And so again, with somebody that has the confidence of Ewer's arm, arm talent, uh, the the mental confidence right now is different if if he can hit on the deep balls. But I know he has confidence in his arm strength. You expect him to be able to make that throw to to, to Worthy on the outside and potentially get back in the game. So that's just a summation of like what's wrong right now is like. And Partially. earlier in that earlier in that drive, he missed a wide open Bajon Robinson on a wheel route to throw yep. to JT Sanders as well. You know, yep. and so um, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a safety blanket thing, where it's like, ah, oh, I know, I know, JT Sanders, like I can get it to JT, right? Like you know, like I can. Um, and I don't know. A thing it, that a thing that we have a hard time grading with quarterbacks in high school because they don't have to do it a lot is going yeah. through progressions. Sure. You see the yeah. arm talent, and you grade them on the arm, arm talent and the size and the intangibles and all that kind of stuff. But at South Lake Carroll, he didn't have to go find the third wide receiver very often. At South right. Lake Carroll, he didn't mm-hmm. have to go find the second wide receiver very often. I was about often, to say, right? yeah. At yeah, Texas, Brady Boyd you do. And RJ Maryland the whole time. Yeah, he is not being good at yeah. getting off his wide receivers. That's why he throws into triple coverage so often, is because he's made the decision pre-snap. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's fair. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with Quinn Ewers right now that's not good. And again, I'm not saying that you bench him and you start Hudson Card. I'm not even right. saying that you bench him and you let Hudson Card play the rest of the game. I'm mm-hmm. saying you inject Hudson Card for a series and just see if it changes anything. Because sure. if it doesn't, you go three and out and everything looks the same. You just put Quinn back the next series and you give him a little bit of a break on the side. AJ Milwee goes over there and talks to him a little bit. Give him just give him a little just give him a little yeah. personal time. Because if you exactly. played any other position, you bench him. Right. If oh, he was a left tackle right. and he was playing that bad, you bench him. If he was a linebacker, yeah. you playing that. And it doesn't mean you got to bench him forever, but just put right. him over to the side and be a little bit, be like, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what's not happening. Let's watch a series, see if you see some stuff from the sidelines that makes things. And then on the flip side, maybe Hudson Card busts a run or does something, just injects a little bit of uh, you know excitement in there. And then all of a sudden you just keep it rolling in, until the next week. So the Oklahoma State game I thought was different because it was his first real road game. And you got to let a guy work through adversity a little bit. But now we're on the third straight week of this. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the point of having a backup quarterback if you're not going to use them? And so 
to me, I mean, this one feels Sark got outcoached in multiple ways yesterday. Oh, 100%. And Texas is behind TCU in year two under Sark compared to year one under Sonny Dykes. And mm-hmm. that's not what Texas hired Sark to be. Right. And I, the another thing that's starting to, to, to concern me is we talk a lot about Quinn Ewers and deservedly so. Xavier Worthy has not been, there were some passes out there that I think he alligator armed straight up. Like there were, again, Ewers has not been on, right? Obviously we've talked about how they need to be caught. They need to be roommates this off season and just work on chemistry. Worthy has to me taken a step. And I don't know if he just doesn't have the confidence or the, the, the trust in Ewers to be like, Oh, that ball's overthrown. And so he's not, he's like mentally, he pulls up a little bit. But there were some passes where I'm like, you could have made a little bit more of an effort to make that a big play. And that's what's concerning to me is like little signs like that where you're just like the team starting to not trust each other because then that becomes a Sarkeesian issue overall with the team. So um, only three wide receivers caught passes yesterday for Texas. Yeah, you're the fact that you're still relying on Jordan Whittington that much as your like reliable receiver is concerning. Like he's good, but like. You know the limits. The, the When Jordan Whittington was your best receiver, you saw what the offense was producing. It wasn't much, right? And so when he's still, him and JT, JT Sanders is great, but when he's still your best outside option, that's a problem to me. I thought they went to him too late. You know, he, he didn't fair. get that's many fair. touches early on. You know, it was all that's deep fair. shots to Worthy. And, you know, what TCU decided to do was just put a safety over the top. They're not going to, we're going to put eight guys in the box. We're going to put a safety over, uh, um, Xavier Worthy because nobody else runs yeah. deep. Yep. And then Whittington's under- not a deep uh, threat. Yours. Sanders isn't yep. a deep threat. We're just going to play him over the top. Um, and I think if you're a wide receiver, this happens to Nathaniel Dell a lot. I think if you're a wide receiver and you see safety help over the top, it's just discouraging. Right. You, you know, like you just know you're doubled. You don't think the quarterback's going to come that way because you know you're double teamed. You see the safety on top of you and you turn around and all of a sudden the ball's coming towards you and you're like, oh man, I got to run again. Um, yeah. And so it just seemed. Kirk Herbstreet said something that I don't know if he meant it purposefully or not, but he called mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian the best play designer in college football yesterday during game day. He hmm. did not call him the best play caller uh-huh. or yeah. the best offensive coordinator. And I thought that was a great point that I have never really thought about the difference between designing plays and yeah. calling plays. Steve Sarkeesian can design his ass off. He gets guys yeah. open he, he schemes his way to success more often than not. But he does not have a great feel for offensive play calling when things aren't going well. When his fastball isn't working, he has a hard time going to plan B to plan C. That is the big um, discredit of his down here. If you talk to local media people down here, that's what they talk about. Sure. And so to me, that's what felt like it was exposed yesterday. If you can figure out a way to take away what Sark wants to do, he has no backup plan. That's why he's so bad in the second half, and that's why TCU dominated him yesterday. It felt like he was so late to adjust that it was mm-hmm. too late by then. Um, just interesting. You know, it's just yeah. an interesting interesting time at Texas. Because if they win that game yesterday, we're talking about how Texas is storming towards the Big 12 championship, that recruiting's picking up, that they're mm-hmm. passing up A&M and Oklahoma in terms of pecking order, you know. Then you lose 17 to 10 and it's like, well, is Sark even the guy, you know, it's just right, that, right. that is the hard part about this job is it is, it is back and forth heads or tails every single day based on results. Yep. All right. That was enough about that game, but there was a lot to talk about with that one. Um, 
Moving on to let's go Kansas State 31, Baylor 3. Um, I was listening to the press conference after this one, and Aranda just I mean, there's not honestly, there's not much to take from this one if you're Baylor. It's it's you got outworked, man. You got outworked. You you played, and that's what that's what Dave Aranda said. They got outworked, and somebody asked him what he would like to see in response to this. And it was very much him saying we need to play with an edge because he said they started and they did. They started off very good. They had a turnover and all of a sudden things just did. They had no recovery plan. They had no backup. They had no uh, response to that. And speaking of recruits, man, DJ Lagway was in the building for that. <laughs> they had DJ Lagway, the top quarterback in the 2024 class on campus watching and you spit the bit against a backup quarterback again. And, and you know, I say backup, uh, Will Howard played great. I should say, uh, Adrian Martinez, you know, I feel bad for him because now this is the second game in a row where they pull off a huge, impressive win with him, not as the quarterback, but, um, yeah, if you're Baylor, you get punched in the mouth. I mean, Deuce Vaughn on the ground through the air. Like they had everything designed for Deuce Vaughn in this one. Um, there was a busted coverage play that led to one of their touchdowns early where he just leaked out of the backfield on a, not even a wheel route, just kind of an out. And he scored on that. And you were just never in it. And you, we talk about Baylor controlling their own destiny and that's how they come out, man. And it's, that's frustrating. <laughs> that's really frustrating. It feels like a team that lacks alpha males and physicality. You know, I, yeah. I think that's where they lack Gary Bohannon. I think they they lack a dude in that huddle that can get everybody together, can wake everybody up. They're just not a physical team. Richard Reese is 5'9". Squirrel Williams yeah. is 5'9". Those are the best two running backs. They got behind so quickly that they had to pretty much abandon the running game. They only ran yep. the ball 23 times. They threw it 38. Yep. That's not at all what they want to do. Um, I think it's time we have the Blake Shapin discussion at some point. He's not been very good. Yeah. He's been inconsistent. When the pocket isn't completely clean, he struggles. Uh, everything needs to be going really well. He cannot be the guy to go win the game. Sure. He, he can be the guy who throws the ball 25 times with a really good running game and compliments that, gets single coverage and can beat that because he does have good arm talent. But he's not a guy that's going to go throw the ball 40 times a game and you're going to win. I think if we went back and looked at this season, the more times he throws the ball, the worse off Baylor is offensively. Um, and so that that's a conversation to have. It felt like a lot like Texas. They're kind of married to the Blake Shapin thing because they made such a big decision in the spring to go with sure, him that sure. they have to be anchored to him. But it felt like a game where if you're not going to play Kyron Jones, then when are you going to play him? You know? Yeah. Um, and so, and then we flip over the defensive side of the ball. I think it's the same thing. I think it's just a team without a bunch of alpha males. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a Terrell Bernard. There's not a Jalen Petrie. There's not a JT Woods. They don't have those kind of guys there. And so Baylor last year was winning with dudes. I know we try to, uh, put it on the scheme and Aranda's philosophy. And a lot of it was that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but they also had like six NFL draft picks back there. You know, they were one of the most talented teams in the Big 12, quietly. We always look at the recruiting rankings and say, that's the most talented team. But if mm -hmm. we went and we looked at the NFL draft rankings, Baylor was absolutely the most talented team. And they went and won a lot of close games. This year it just feels like they're a team devoid of those all-stars and they're trying to play, you know, just 50, 50 ball with everybody And Kansas state went into Waco and beat Baylor the way Baylor wants to beat people. And so, yeah. you know, that, I think that would be the most troubling sign. If I'm Dave Aranda is we got beat at what we want to do best. We got out physical. Like you said, we got outworked. Um, and they simply just got their ass kicked in a game yeah. that meant everything for them. And so 
uh, back to the drawing board for them. And there's a lot of there's a lot of soul searching in the offseason because they need some leaders to step up and and become kind of the guys that they lost last year because they have not replaced those guys either on the field or in the locker room. Yep. Uh, they'll have a chance to, I mean, TCU, Texas coming up. So, you know, that's going to be a huge for them. Obviously they'll need Kansas state now controls that their driver's seat. Um, they have West Virginia and Kansas coming up. So they have a very, very good inside track to get to the big 12 championship game against TCU, which pretty, pretty fun rematch if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to see that one. Baylor's going to need them to slip up and also take care of business on their end. If they want a chance to go back. All right, moving on to another team that let things get. I mean, eh, it's still in their control, but still just very frustrating. UAB 41, North Texas 21. All right, so um, if there was ever a game that proves that momentum doesn't really, isn't really a thing, I think it's this one. They go down 14 nothing. They go up 21-14, and then they just lose the plot, and, and then UAB just absolutely controls this game. Um I mean, UAB, we uh, we use the word, our favorite, our favorite word with North Texas is mash. And UAB just said, that sounds fun. I want to mash. And then Dwayne McBride and Jermaine Brown combined for over 270 yards on the ground. Um, I think Dwayne McBride broke the school record for touchdowns, rushing touchdowns on the year with 17 uh, total now with three on the game. And yeah, this one, it looked, man, it, it looked like it. I don't want to say typical UNT game, but it looked like the perfect game plan. Like, okay, you go down 14, nothing. You're like, oh man. All right. Let's switch things around a little bit. Let's get our offense going. Okay, cool. Austin on. He's going to make a couple big plays. Uh, Ikaika Ragsdale is going to get a big run. It's like, cool. Boom. 21, 14. We're good to go. We're sit on the game. We got it. And then they just like, were completely shocked that UAB didn't lay down. <laughs> UAB was like, no, we're fine. And just stuck with the run game. Yeah, I mean, they still control their own destiny, you know, UNT. Uh, they still get Rice to to play in the conference championship, but this one felt weird. I don't know. This one felt like they expected UAB to, like, pull you down. We scored 21 unanswered. Awesome. On to next week, and that didn't happen. I felt like... I kind of thought... That, sorry, go ahead. Mal. No, I was just going to say, I kind of felt like this was the same thing that happened in the UNLV game, the same thing that happened in the Memphis game. Like, they just... They just couldn't play all four quarters of football, and it showed. And I felt like UAB was just the better team coming into this game. And you, we talked about it before on the pre-show that UAB is just a different monster at home. I mean, they were able to – they lost last week against UTSA in double overtime, but I just think they're a better team at home, and it showed definitely in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought UAB would also lay down. You know, they're five and or last going in that game, they're four and five, right? That's not a very good football team. They lost to Rice, they lost to UTSA. That UTSA game shouldn't have been uh, that close. That was a fourteen point uh, game going in the fourth quarter. And North Texas kind of weathers that early storm, uh, takes their biggest punch, and, and gets back up twenty one to fourteen. You're like, okay, UAB is about to go away. That's what UAB does this year: is they kind of melt when they're faced with adversity. Um, and then they answer the bell and that's, you know, that's good on UAB, bad on North Texas. Uh, football can turn pretty quickly that way. I think the good news, if you're North Texas is, you know, you get a bye week next week and then all you got to do is beat Rice at home, Yeah, you know? And so everything's still out in front of you. No big deal. I, I don't think the loss is that huge of a deal, right? Like it's not, you know, it's just what it is. Um, and so you, you get an, you get a bye week cause you played week zero and then you get to beat a Rice team that uh, just got crushed by Western Kentucky. So all out there in front of you, if you're North Texas, 
um, you know, this isn't a great team, right? Like North Texas is one of those very thin margins teams, you know, like mm-hmm. it can get away from you really quickly. Um, and we've seen that a lot to Mallory's point this year. They're either right there in it playing a really good game or it just falls apart. It feels like there's not mm-hmm. like an in-between gear, you know, it's either first gear or fifth gear. There's nothing, nothing in between for North Texas. So that's something uh, that really needs to get worked on. But uh, again, like I said, I just think if you're in North Texas, you just throw that tape away. You go into the bye week you concentrate on rice and, and you try to, you try to focus the message on, we still control our own destiny. Everything we want to play for is right there. You get past rice. And as we've seen that UTS games always weird, you know? Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think it was a disappointing game uh, for North Texas. That's definitely in the second half. I think they got outscored what 24, nothing in the second yeah. half, 27, zero uh, to close the game. So closing the games, I think is the thing that really, uh, is important and, and maybe that idle week coming up kind of rejuvenates this team you know they've been playing a lot of football for a long time because of that week zero game yeah definitely that's a good point actually about that um they might have just mm-hmm. yeah they might just be a team that just needed a bye week um one of the other stats i like to look at is of course i mentioned the middle eight um the the four last four plays of the first half first four plays of the second half uab 15 north texas three so they really controlled kind of the game in that middle eight and that's kind of when the game swung towards uab's favor so but yeah like you said throw it away take a break for a little bit get ready for rice because we'll talk about them they're having some issues too so uh let's go on let's get the wide zone going texas tech 43 kansas 28 i just want to start off by saying i feel really happy for tyler shuck yeah, because yeah, for sure. Yeah, a guy who's battled injury, people see he start in the game. You're like, oh, geez, all right, is this really the get? All right, and he plays great, man. He had some runs with his legs. He's, I mean, and just an overall great performance. Tech limits Kansas's big plays on offense. Uh, forced Jason Bean to turn the ball over. They were able to keep it pretty balanced on themselves. Obviously, with Tyler Shuck involved in the run game, and yeah, they come out with a good win, man. We were worried about what this team kind of was is going to be down the stretch and i don't know man it showed a little bit of why joey mcguire probably trusted this guy coming out of the offseason right heading into the game he doesn't wow you with insane physical tools right but he is one he gives you a little bit of the donovan smith with his mobility he gives you probably better more composed arm talent and arm uh, and throwing ability than donovan smith probably not the up end of baron wharton but like he just gives you the probably the best of both worlds in my opinion, and yeah, I don't know, just really coming back from injury, frustrating career he's had at Texas Tech, and comes out with a pretty good win. I mean, the keys for Texas Tech throughout the week were don't turn the ball over, run the football. And yep. They did both of those things. No interceptions by Tyler Shuck on thirty-four attempts, so that you know that's a win right there. Uh, and then you look down, they ran the ball forty-eight times like mm-hmm. that. That's what it is. You know, like we've been begging Zach Kitley to do that all year. Like I know what Zach Kitley wants to do. And I know what this Texas Tech offense will eventually look like. But right now it's not that. Your running backs are better than your wide receivers. And your offensive line is putrid Mm. at pass blocking. Just just awful at pass blocking. And so you take pressure off them by moving forward, running the football, and making the defense be honest. They hadn't done that much over the last month you know they had lost four out of their last five games and a lot of it is because of just the script you know like they just threw the ball so much they put so much on their quarterbacks they turned the ball over they threw a lot of interceptions uh you look at the box score that uh you know from last night's game uh, and you're like that's exactly what it needs to look like they they ran the ball 40 plus times 
They gave Tyler Shuck some easy throws. They didn't put him in a lot of weird positions. They let him use his legs to get outside the pocket and mess with defenses that way. And so a uh, really good game plan uh, for Texas Tech. And it was a must win, basically, uh, because they're trying to get to a bowl game. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to take a step back in year one. I, I know the schedule this year is a lot harder than last year's schedule. So getting to six regular season wins is a much bigger deal this year than it was last year. Uh, yeah. But you want a bowl game. You want those extra practices. You want it for recruiting. You just want it for this, the program's f- vibes and feelings mm-hmm. inside the locker room that we're not taking a step back. They needed that one to get to five wins. Now they're at five and five. And maybe that prophecy Joey McGuire talked about before the year comes true where they beat Oklahoma Man. in the last game of the year, take the field goal post down and knock down the south end zone. Um, and so, you know, everything to play for right there. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we do, and not just us, but just in general, is like you're either great or you suck. Right. You know, and I hate that. I just hate yeah. it. You know, and like Texas Tech is what Texas Tech is. Like it's a good, solid football team that's beating the teams that they're supposed to. They pull an upset against a Texas. Uh, but they're just not there yet. They have a recruiting sure. cycle or two left before they can really compete with the offensive line and defensive lines of a Kansas State, of a Baylor, of even a Texas who they beat, but you know what I mean. And so, mm-hmm. like, they still have a ways to go. Getting to six wins is a victory, and they're right there for that. They got Iowa State and Oklahoma left. I think they should win one of those two, if not both of them. And so, you know, right now, I think everything is right where Texas Tech wants them to be. Asking any more uh, would be greedy, in my opinion. Sure. One of the things, one of the stats I saw on Twitter that that was funny because it just shows like how, I don't know. Did you know that Tyler Chuck is technically five and one as a starter at Texas Tech? Yeah. <laughs> that is weird to me. Obviously, yeah. some of those games he got injured in, obviously, and, and didn't finish the game. But it's just like, it's, it's like a huge, it's a crazy what if. Right. Like this is a guy who was an NFL talent quarterback at Oregon. Right. Who didn't mm-hmm. live up. To, he followed Justin Herbert. So it's hard to obviously live up to that talent. But a lot of people projected him as like the next guy at Oregon. And just, you know, you go to Texas Tech, obviously Matt Wells, he gets injured and that whole thing just happens this year. Same thing. Another coaching staff comes in and dubs him the guy and just, you know, it just doesn't happen for him. It's with with injury and all that. So. I don't know. It's just like an interesting. What if um, I kind of I re- personally, I hope he finishes it out just because I would like to see him have that kind of validation and finish to his career. Um, if his if this is the end for his college career. So, um, yeah, like you said, uh, still a lot to play for. And who knew Joey, Joey McGuire was potentially a soothsayer when he mentioned uh, the Oklahoma win <laughs> and yeah. the new end zone complex. Yeah, they're five and one at home. You know, so they've been they've been taking and, care of the home games, you know, and those four losses on the road were all to ranked teams at the time, you know, and so yep. they're not it's not like they're losing games. that It's like, man, how do they lose to Kansas or how do you sure, know, like, sure. you know, the games they're losing are games that on paper they probably should lose. And I, I think if you're a tech fan, that's a good sign. Right. We're not. Yeah. We're beating the teams we we're supposed to, which was not always true under Matt Wells. Mm-hmm. Now we just need to catch up and close that gap. And that just takes recruiting. Those are that's about the J, the Joes and the Janes. Right. Not the X's yeah. and O's. Well, one team that would like to think it's all about the recruiting is uh, AM. Auburn 13, Texas AM 10. This one still sucks. <laughs> I, <laughs> the Mallory's This Sucks game of the week. Um, I mean, I, this one was happening at the same time as Texas TCU. So I did not have all eyes on this one. I was gauging it based off of Twitter reaction. <laughs> and um, it was probably a lot more enjoyable that way because Auburn had a quarterback, <clears throat> Robbie Ashford, throw for 60 yards, and they won. <laughs> so 
if that just doesn't tell you enough about how funny this game was, I don't know. Auburn decided we're just not going to throw, throw the football and we're going to become, you know, a modern version of the wing tee and just <laughs> run the ball. Was it like 50 times more or less and come out with a win and AM man, I we I didn't think it would get this bad, right? I gave you a flyer for last week, right? Flew. Florida looks pretty well coached. It's fine. No way you're going to lose to the interim head coach, Cadillac Williams, and the team that's starting a true freshman quarterback, right? No way. Even though it's Auburn, sure, Auburn's a solid program, but they're in a bad spot right now. Even though it's between the hedges, it's hard to play at. But again, bad spot. Everything's going back to you. You get your quarterback back, all that stuff. Great. Awesome. They basically lost to a service academy. Right? <laughs> they basically he threw the ball 13 times. I mean, they ran the ball 55 times for 270 yards. And and you know, like it's just it's just amazing. Like there was not a receiver for Auburn. They only had one receiver that had two catches. You know, yeah. like it really was like playing against Navy or Air Force or Army or something like that. And what's what's wild to me, like I think we can all agree Jimbo Fisher is in over his head offensively. Like whether he wants to admit that or not, like the offense sure. is just bad. It needs to be modernized. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be fixed. Like, I don't, I don't know if he agrees with that, but I, I think most onlookers would say that that's true. What's mm-hmm. been like just fascinating to me, where are all those five-star defensive linemen that they've been signing for the last couple of years? It wasn't just the 2022 class. They had a really yeah. good defensive line class in 2021. They had a really good defensive line class in 2020. Where are they? Do they have linebackers? Do they recruit linebackers ever at ain't it? Like Edrian Cooper gets injured and there's like nobody on the yeah. roster to play linebacker. It's just amazing how everything has fallen apart. We're not seeing this where it's like they're, they're losing 17 to 10 and just the defense is really bad. Like Ole Miss runs for 390 yards. Florida runs all over them. Auburn runs all over them without any threat of the passing game at all. That front seven is really bad. And it just feels like the whole program has kind of taken a nosedive and I don't know where it ends. You know, you mm-hmm. play UCLA or LSU last, mm-hmm. right? So you're looking at a, what, a, a three and nine or four, four and eight type yeah. season uh, for AM. When you were ranked sixth, you're ranked sixth in the preseason poll. You have the third most talented roster in the country. And you're, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not even going to be near 500. And so this isn't a year one or year two or year three. Jimbo's in his fifth year. And so I just every week that contract looks worse and worse. And every week, I think I come around to Ish's idea of like, maybe they do find this money. Like, I, it just sounded absurd a month ago to me, right? It, sure, like you would sure. pay $90 million to like, just have somebody not work at your university. Uh, but the further and further this one goes and the more it feels like Jimbo kind of digs in more and more each press conference, it feels like after every press con- or after every game, he gets a little bit more stubborn about his stance on his offense. Mm-hmm. And it leads me to believe that he doesn't think something really needs to change, that he just needs to bring in a play caller to run his offense, not right. a mm-hmm. new guy to bring in a whole different offense. And then, you know, the defensive coordinator stuff's not working. You know, you bring in a guy with a lot of controversy and all this kind of stuff and, you know, now that's not working either. That's taking a step back. So your offense stinks. Your defense stinks. Your recruiting class is falling apart. You know, you're not even in the top 15. It's not like you're going to sign a top 10 class. And so right now, I just, 
for me, I, I just don't know what's happening with College Station. And, and I think the biggest storyline is just wait until the season over and see who enters the transfer portal and who doesn't, because that's going to tell us everything about that locker room. If they can keep most of these guys in, I think they're bought in and maybe mm-hmm. things get better next year. But if there's this mass exodus, you know, come December, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if you're an Aggie booster. I don't know what you point to as evidence that this is going to get any better. I feel like you're already starting to see the downfall a little bit with, you know, Anthony Hill's decommitment from Texas A&M. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they started seeing some of those guys that are already in the locker room start to trickle out a bit. Yep. Yeah. You see, I'm looking at their 247 rankings right now. So they have, first of all, the number of commits they have is staggering. They're they're at 11 now. Yeah, everybody they, else they do have, have a pretty full roster. Sure, sure, that's fair. That's fair. But also, you kind of wonder, like, is all those guys going to be there, right? If I'm AM, I'm probably recruiting over those guys, right? If I'm, you know, if you, if you have the capital, right? If you're probably a team in the momentum, if you have a team that has recruiting momentum, you're probably like, yeah, we're recruiting another quarterback. Yeah, we're recruiting it, you know, like things like that. The thing that <laughs> really would be concerning for me, looking at the top 10, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, Tennessee. Tennessee's 11th uh, and just uh, just outside the top 10. Those are your peers, right? (laughs) Oklahoma and Texas are coming in and they're sixth and seventh right now. You're currently sitting at 23rd. (laughs) That's, by the way, Arkansas, South Carolina are 16 and 15, right? You're falling behind. And I'm also going to rattle off a couple names, three names. Kevin Sumlin, Mike Sherman, Dennis Francione. Do you want to know the year, the records the year they got fired? Kevin Sumlin, seven and five. Mike Sherman, six and six. Dennis Francione, seven and five. Mike Sherman and Dennis Francione played in the Big 12, by the way. Like, we, the standard has been set. Mm-hmm. The standard is set by those guys saying bowl games aren't enough, right? We want more. <laughs> like the fact that Kevin Sumlin is still the most successful AM coach of my lifetime, right? And he was fired because eight and five wasn't good enough. Sure, fair enough, right? If you want to be, if you if you think if, one, you have the money and the resources to maybe have those expectations. But if that's the standard, then hold that standard, right? That you I don't yeah. I'm at the point where I don't care how big the buyout is. You're you set the standard for saying we're paying this guy this much money, giving him this dumb extension because we know that we have a national title potential winning program here. And if that's the standard, and you're sitting here, what three and seven? What are they three and three, what? Three what, and seven. What's the point? Like, then what are you doing? You had an offense. You had a, you had a performance yesterday against a team who won, I think, obviously, Cadillac Williams has rallied that program, and they look like, you know, that interview he gave afterward was great, and I'm really happy for him. They're playing hard. They're playing really hard. But you're having, again, they can't throw the ball, yeah. right? No, you got to win that game. That touchdown that they had was literally like a service academy touchdown where they, they're they lined up and, like, in an obvious running formation, and then they just leak out a tight end, and you're, and everybody in the AM defense is like, what? And, like, they just see a wide-open guy down the field because they haven't thrown the ball all a series and yeah that's how that's how it looked like you mentioned like it looked like you were playing air force with the way they were just like getting everything on the ground so yeah very frustrating i completely understand and fans being done because it looks also like florida state his last year 
right? Where you're like, yeah, what happened to this national title yeah. winning roster and all this stuff? And like guys can't block. And all of a sudden you, you know, it just looks like, I don't know. Yeah. It looks like a guy who hasn't kind of made and isn't really concerned with getting things off the ground because yeah, I'm not gonna, I don't know. I'm not going to figure <laughs> I did find it like uh AM's like, Oh, they're going to try to find something wrong with the program. I was like, you think they haven't been trying that for the past, like what to get out of this, like to fire him for cause. It was like, what do you think? Do you think AM is not going to find something wrong if they could like two months ago, we would have been hearing about some kind of recruiting violation if they would, <laughs> if they wanted to, um, you're gonna have to pay this guy 90 plus million to get mm-hmm. out from under it. Cause he's not going anywhere. So I did see yeah. a stat too on Twitter real fast before we go. Yep. And it had a couple of teams on there that had uh, and it, it's only happened a couple times in like college football history but there were the teams on there they had started the year in the AP top 25 most of them in the top 10 mm. and they finished with a losing record and a lot of those teams didn't have that that head coach after that one year so it was just, it's just interesting to see it written in in writing so mm-hmm. These are problems that should be year one, year two problems. By year five, we shouldn't be having these conversations. The fact that we are is ridiculous and an indictment on that program and Jimbo Fisher. Mm 100%. 100%. All right. Speaking of a program that is not an indictment of their head coach, in fact, should be celebrated right now. SMU 41, South Florida 23. We waited seemingly 10 years for it. But damn it, we got the Kamar Wheaton game. He finally showed up. SMU has a running game. Uh, I was very happy to see this very just like completely in control, controlling game. You know, they they looked like they were really happy. Uh, they doused uh, uh, Rhett Lashley with water afterward, getting the bowl eligibility in his first year. Like you mentioned, college football is hard, man. And, you know, SMU, I get it. It was fun under Sonny Dykes, you know, having expectations, uh, low expectations of like potentially getting to a, a New Year's Six in, in like September, October you're in a different spot, man. And it's first year head coach. And look, you, things looked rocky at points this season and you took care of business and you're in a bowl game. Like that should be something to celebrate. Um, I don't know. This program looks like it's on the right track. Tanner Mordecai, again, solid game from him, but Tyler Levine, Kamar Wheaton, both 112 yards on the ground. I mean, this was the, this was the running game I wanted to see and it took a while, but they're both healthy. They're both here. And now this is what you use to build towards the future, right? You can see the Kamar Wheaton that we expected. You can see that balance on offense. Okay, cool. Now you take that into the future. Now you get a bowl game to to practice some more with it. Is this the offense that we kind of expected? At least for me, it is. Yeah, I I do think it was more in line with what we figured we'd see going into the year. You know, more of a balance. They were forced to kind of become just a pass-heavy team because the yeah. running backs just haven't been there. I mean, Rhett Lashley on our show on Wednesday was like, I think our offensive lines played really well. We just haven't had our running back step mm-hmm. up. It feels sure. like Tyler Levine, Kamar Wheaton are, are kind of growing into that role. The first half, first half was sloppy. South Florida was right there, and I was sure. You know, Rhett had kind of given us that stat of, of interim head coaches having a, a winning record in their first game. And you know, yeah. South Florida is right there at halftime where she rice drops a couple balls. Other wide receivers caught, drop a couple passes. And it looked like a team who was on the road playing in front of about a thousand people against mm-hmm. a team that was one in seven. Like it looked it looked exactly like that. A team who thought they could walk in there and just win. Uh, good on them and kind of regrouping at halftime and going, guys, we, they're not going to just give us the game. We have to go win this football game. They leaned on them. They were more physical. They were more talented. Uh, defense played uh, really well in the second half as well. So I think like you, I, you know, seven and five, eight and four kind of felt like the ceiling for SMU. They're right there. 
Uh, Tulane's a lot better than we thought. So next week's going to be a, a difficult one uh, for them, but they close with Memphis. So I think they could get to seven wins and seven and five would be a good year. Six and six is fine. Uh, this program's going where it needs to be. I think the offense is really explosive. I think the thing that they've learned that we all knew when he inherited the job was the defense has to be retooled and mm-hmm. not just from a schematic standpoint, from just a talent standpoint, the secondary is mm-hmm. awful. Just, just, yeah. just really bad. And so mm-hmm. when South Florida is doing that to you in the first half, you got to blow it up. I know it's not coaching because Craig Niver's excellent. You know, he's been mm-hmm. really good everywhere he's gone. Um, and so it's just a, a matter of hitting that transfer portal, probably this offseason, hardcore, uh, in the secondary, in the back end of that defense, and, and hoping you can field, you know, a top half American defense. Because you, you can just sure. be in the top six of the American in defense. This offense is always going to be really good. Like, this is what Rhett Lashley does. Uh, they're going to score points. They just mm-hmm. have to become a defense that can play somewhat complementary football. That's going to take an off season or two to really accomplish. Yep. All right. Moving on to, all right. We mentioned them. Western Kentucky, 45 rice, 10 um, games. You just want to throw out and not think about anymore. Um, I don't know, man. This is look, this looked like to me, Western Kentucky exercising some demons. They were, they were, they have been upset the way this season has gone. And they were just like, Rice, you are going to take this beat down real if whether you want or not, because we have not lived up to our own expectations. Um, yeah, that's that's frustrating. Um, if you're rice, you know, you you a year that's gone pretty well, you're going bowling, all that stuff, and right when you think you're right there, able to compete with any team in the conference. And you just get the beats put down on you. I mean, it's turnovers at the quarterback position. Once again, you know, it's the same song and dance for Rice. When they turn the ball over at quarterback, they're not good enough. The defense isn't good enough to keep them in that game. They're the worst scoring defense in the state for a reason, right? And so Bailey Zappi was back in town for Western Kentucky. They had those weird-ass helmets that they were wearing with the weird face in front of them. That probably freaked (laughs) out. You know, Rice, they're so intelligent, right? They're like, this doesn't make any sense. How do you play against this thing or whatever? I'm probably trying to diagnose what, like, ethos it was or whatever. Right. Um, Something wrong with with their eyes? Right. Why is their face looking like that? What subspecies is this? Let's do a test. Um, And so it's just one of those things where, like, Rice is Rice. Like, the margin of error at Rice is always going to be very, very tiny, like a grain of rice. And they just could not overcome those turnovers. Like they've thrown more yeah. interceptions than touchdowns this year at the quarterback position. That's not going to get it done. It reminds me they, played two, like, they played two quarterbacks and both them through two, two picks. Two in picks. Yeah. <laughs> Zero touchdowns. Right. And so yeah. like, you just, you, you're not going to win that way. The running game's not dominant enough. The defense isn't dominant enough to overcome that. They need to score points to win. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're a high scoring offense when they're winning football games. When they turn the ball over, they are bad and they are just mm-hmm. not good enough to stay in it. And it's as simple as that. Now you just got to hope you catch, you know, a team at the wrong time. You know, like you maybe you walk into UTSA, which just clinched a spot in the Conference USA title game. Maybe you do what North Texas did to them last year, kind of catch them sleeping. You know, maybe North Texas, you know, with all the pressure and expectation, expectations on them in the last week, maybe you catch them there. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take an upset to get it done. And, and quite frankly, I – you know, football, we try to make it this very complicated, big thing. Like, you know, that's why we all have jobs and everything like that is, you know, because football is so tough. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's really not. You know, you just don't throw the ball to the other team and you got yourself a chance to win. And, and right now, that's the only thing separating Rice from bowl eligibility or not bowl eligibility is their quarterback's ability to throw the football. Because they're going to look back on this year if they go five and seven and kick themselves. Because sure. they had every opportunity mm-hmm. to get that sixth win and get Charlotte 
uh, really yesterday as well. Like Western Kentucky is not very good. We've seen Western mm-hmm. Kentucky lose to, to bad teams this year, or at least average mm-hmm. teams this year. FAU. You're right. But you just can't give them opportunities. You give any team four free drives, and they're probably going to beat you unless they're Texas State's offense. And so, yeah, uh, right. you know, uh, sorry, I had to get that one. In. <laughs> it's listen, uh, man. I, you, you can say whatever you want right now about that. But team. like, yeah, I just I just feel like it's 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 another opportunity missed for Rice. Sure. And they just got to steal one somehow. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know yeah. how they do it. Yeah, they're simply. I mean. They're simply not there yet to where they're good enough to make mistakes and, and right. win, right? We see teams make mistakes. We see teams not play their best and pull out wins. Rice is not one of those teams, simply simple enough. Uh, defense isn't good enough to handle turnovers. Exactly. You know, like 100%. Texas State, we joke about Texas State, but that defense is good enough to handle a few turnovers. Sure. They'll, exactly. they'll save you from some issues. Right. Rice's defense is not that. And so you yeah. just – you just can't you just can't turn the ball over that way. Punting's okay. And this is something that TJ McMahon just hasn't been good at this year. When he and they've come in bunches, mm-hmm. right? Like it's felt like when they throw one, they throw three or more, you know? Right. And so that yeah. that's kind of the problem is it feels like it's like a slope, you know. And once they throw one, then it's like quicksand and they can't get out of it. Yep. All right. Moving on to oh, a team that was frustrating as hell. Houston 43, Temple 36. I, I, again, I did not plan to watch this game and then I kept seeing the score and I was like, am I going to have to yeah. watch this game? <laughs> like, please tell me I'm not going to have to turn this game on because I saw a third quarter temple up and I'm like, please, God, tell me not, you're not going to make me watch this game. Uh, first of all, credit Stan Drayton. Those dudes look, those dudes look pretty good. Um, you know, former running backs coach at Texas, um, but man, I was like, Houston, you better, I swear to God, you better not lose this game. And sure enough, pulled it out late. It took seemingly every down on offense to pull it out. But I believe Temple took the lead uh, mid third, mid middle of the fourth quarter um, or late. Sorry, late in the fourth. Um, yeah, they took the lead late. Yeah, sorry. And yeah, Houston took, scored the game winning score right. 40 seconds yeah, yeah. left in the game. Completely yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Thank God I'm not, we're not worried about this team in terms of like New Year's six because they are what they are and they're just a middle of the pack AAC team. <laughs> the fall of that secondary has awesome. just been crazy to watch. And it's starting to make like one missing Marcus Jones has been huge, right? Because sure. when you lose your best cornerback, now your second best cornerback has to cover their first best wide. It's a trickle effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also what I think happened to Houston was that pass rush was so good last year that mm. we didn't realize the safeties can't cover anybody because okay. they they never had to because quarterbacks were getting sacked or pressured before they had time to develop those routes down the field. The the team that they played yesterday is not very good at throwing the football. Like this is not mm. this is not like they're playing air raid, just incredible passing offensive type of stuff. They allowed 33 first downs. 533 total yards. 486 yeah. through the air to a team yeah. that's won three games this year. Like They're it's bad. Temple. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's Temple. And by like, the way, yeah. They, and, and Stan, they lost to Rutgers. Dr- like they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> Stan Drayton's a career running back coach. He's not, right. he's not, he's not a guy that's trying to throw the ball a ton here. <laughs> right. I would imagine they just like saw the film and were like, well, I mean, I, I guess we're going to give it our shot too. And then, you know, it just like, it feels like, because <laughs> like, I was out. at the Tulane game. And like yeah. they got to their second quarterback and then they got to the third quarterback. It was like, Oh, Houston's going to blow them out. And it's like, even the third string quarterback at Tulane threw the ball over Houston. And so yeah, secondary is just really bad. It's just, it's hard to watch. 
Like it mm-hmm. honestly, it honestly is just hard to watch. Like I mean, what their secondary does. It was basically a battle of the of the secondaries blowing because that's what the last yeah. play. I just remember that's what the last yeah. play was. Like they just yeah. lost. It wasn't. It was like, oh, that's not Tank Dale. We don't have to worry about him. It's like, oh wait, he's wide open. Like it was like. <laughs> so they they focused so much on Tank Dale that I forgot who caught the the game winner. But Matthew Golden. Yeah, Matthew Golden just leaked him. Is leaked in the backfield. He's like, oh, there he is. Never mind. Don't worry about him. Um, so yeah, it was like basically who could make the 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 mistake in the secondary last, and it turns yeah. out it was Temple. Well, and one is rebuilding, and sure, under sure. a first year head coach, and like that's going to happen. And sure. the other was supposed to be an American Conference contender and a New York's New Year Six Bowl contender, and instead their secondary is the Spider Man meme because after every single play, they just point at each other and try to <laughs> see who like who was at fault you know it's just like one corner pointing at another safety is like that's your guy and the safety's like no that's your guy and probably both of them are wrong because (laughs) nobody knows what they're doing and like i it's just i don't know how it happens 10 games into into the year with a lot of guys who returned yeah a lot of guys who returned and now like it's weird i was there was nothing i was more wrong about in texas than houston Well, I will say the one thing I'm very confident in is that we put Tank Dell first team over Xavier Worthy. <laughs> yeah. So that is the yeah. one thing we yeah. got right with Houston is that Ooh. Tank Dell's still that dude. <laughs> I'll yeah. take that. Uh, but man, this team goes to the Big 12 next year. And with the way the Big 12 is playing this year, this is a last place team in the Big 12. With yeah, the way the Big 12 is playing this year. What's uh, the record if they were in the Big 12 right now? Ooh, that's a good well, question. Let, let me bring up the like, who, do you, who would you pick in a neutral site? Yeah, let me break up the Big 12 standings right now. The last, the last two teams right now. Maybe Kansas, Kansas now. Kansas without their quarterback. Without, yeah, without uh, so the So the, the bottom three teams are West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Iowa State at two and five. And uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma, two and five. And then Iowa State's one and six. I'd probably peg them at two and five. Yeah, because they already like, lost to Kansas. Yeah, that's true. they lost to Kansas, who's three and four. They're the next team up. Oh, that's right, yeah. And... Yeah, I'd probably peck them two and five. Like maybe, maybe one. Like you know, Iowa State's just like weird this year. So like maybe they maybe they're not that bad. But yeah, they're definitely two and five. I think in, in the Big Twelve this year. Um, I don't pick them over any of these other teams. Like yeah. they lost. I don't attack. know. <clears throat> yeah, and then <clears throat> and to Oklahoma's credit, you know, it's weird to say Oklahoma's rebuilding, but they have a they're pulling in a top ten recruiting class, and they're going to be better next year. Um, so yeah, it's. Man, Houston, and and you're not going to the Big Twelve alone either, right? You got US right. UCF and Cincinnati, who uh, didn't one of those teams put the beatdowns on um, Tulane yesterday? Yeah, Central. Well, it ended up being a close game. But Central Florida won that one. Thirty. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Tulane made a rally late. You're right, but still very impressive for BYU UCF. So yeah, BYU as well. Beat Baylor. That's a good point. Yeah. So at least yeah. for next year, you Houston might be is the a very Houston is the worst team. equipped to move over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They have the worst four-year record of any of those teams, and they have the worst mm-hmm. recruiting record over any of those four teams. Like they are, mm-hmm. they are relying on the transfer portal. And you hired Dana Holgerson for this transition. Yep. Dana Holgerson was hired at Houston, knowing behind the scenes they were moving to the Big Twelve. He had Big Twelve uh, familiarity and was mm-hmm. like, oh, "Okay, this will be a <clears throat> seamless transition." And the runway is ran out, and they're not there yet. They thought that by this time they would be like ascending upward. And yep. they're about to run out of runway and it's about to happen. And it's going to be a cold shower because it is not fun looking right now for them. Because yeah, Tune's for, not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, Tune's not going to be there. And at Nathaniel Dell's not going to be there. At least for one year, you're dealing with Texas and Oklahoma as well. It uh, looks like, you know, obviously we'll see what happens exactly with that 
transition to the SEC. But at least for one year, you're probably dealing with those two teams, and it could get bad for 2023. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. Um Moving on to our second to last game. Speaking of exercising some damn demons, UTSA 51, LaTeX 7. This is a game that we were, I don't say worried about, but quote unquote worried about just because it was like one of those teams you're like, ah, oh, you're, you know, it's expected to win. Maybe it's one of those weird games where you, nope, not at all. Uh, Frank Harris looks fine. Running game looked fine. Everything was fine. Um, <laughs> they they really just like made LaTeX look like a, a team that was rebuilding. Um we mentioned our concerns with the UTSA secondary that really didn't come out at all. They had a couple turnovers for them. So like that was a good confidence boost for them heading into the latter stretch of the season. I think it was early, early in the game. LaTeX had like a drive or something to kind of, uh, that kind of, they kind of moved the ball early, but other than that, not really. Um, and UTSA, man, you know, look good, good win after a bunch of struggles and a bunch of like, you know, slug fest. It's good to probably just like, punch a team in the mouth and kind of hold their face in the dirt a little bit. Kavorian Barnes coming along to help that running game has been the biggest storyline of the second half of the season for UTSA. Cause the mm -hmm. first half of the season, it was all Frank Harris and those wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And as that offensive line was crumbling due to injury, it was like, man, this is going to get tough, right? Cause you're not going to be able to protect them as well. If you don't have a running game, defenses are just going to, we saw North Texas do that a little bit, right? We just mm -hmm. pin your ears back. You just get after the quarterback and you make things different. You can't do that if they're balanced. And Barnes is averaging seven yards a carry against Conference USA opponents. And so, mm. you know, he's come on really well to a kid that, you know, came from St. Augustine that didn't have a whole lot of hype behind him. Uh, but he's been excellent. He's really changed uh, the direction of this UTSA uh, offense. Because if you look back at Jeff Trailer's teams, even going back to when he was in high school, they run the football. That's what they're known mm. for. They're, they're going to sure. run the football. It didn't look like this year that was going to be possible. And they figured out a way to get that done. And so it's just another great coaching job by UTSA. You look up, all of a sudden they've won seven in a row. They're 6-0 and in Conference USA. They've guaranteed a spot there with two games left. It's just, it's ho-hum for Jeff Traley. It makes it look too easy. He needs to improve the settings on his Madden game because he's playing it easy or something like that. <laughs> and it's just, it's it, it almost feels boring sometimes, you know, right. a bit for UTSA. Yep. Now they got Rice and UTEP coming up, you know, a couple a couple sparring games with some physical opponents to get you ready for probably your most physical opponent. Again, if UNT can take care of business in the, uh, against Rice in, the, uh, in a couple of weeks. So, all right, moving on to our last game, South Alabama 38, Texas State 21. I did not watch a single second of this game. Um uh, look, we saw we we previewed it and it literally played out the way we thought it would. Texas State did not have a chance in this game. Um, and Lane Hatcher wasn't good, um, at all. And yeah, they couldn't run the ball. Um, obviously Calvin Hill being out for the year is a huge, was a huge blow for that offense, whatever that offense had. And yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> and we feel like we're kind of waiting for some news to drop on a Sunday now. Yeah. I mean, it feels like when, not if at this point, you know, mm -hmm. like I've, I've gotten 14 coaches in my text messages between last night and today asking me about the Texas state job. Yeah. And when all the coaches are asking you about it, that means that there's smoke behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like this is what it is. You know, like people aren't texting mm -hmm. me about the Texas job or the UTSA job or the TCU right. job. Right. And so uh, I think it's something that in coaching circles is already kind of out there. And uh, it just doesn't feel like a team who was playing for its coach's life yesterday. Right. Right. Like if everybody in that locker room knows we need to win out or at least get a big win here to save our coach, to save this staff and to kind of get things back on the right track, 
they didn't come out and look like a team who was playing for that. And right. so I just don't know what the answers are at Texas state other than the new start. Yep. Basically. Um, I mean, there's not much we, we, we talked about it. We've talked about it all season. Basically this was the week to kind of put up or shut up right. More or less where it's like, if you're going to make a bowl, make a late push to make a bowl, you literally needed this game that didn't come. So now another year bowl eligibility being gone. Um, and yeah, and it's obvious. I think you're even on track to have a worse year than last year, which was kind of like the one little trickle of hope out of last year was like, well, you won the most games for the first time in a while. So um, now you're not even on track for that anymore. So yeah, it's, it feels like a, if not when um, again, we're not reporting anything, but we're just reading the tea leaves, man. <laughs> we're just reading the vibes and the vibes are not good right now. And it, and again, it's, it's small margins, you know, they beat app state and yeah. it looks like it's ascending. You know, and mm-hmm. then it's a, a three-point loss to Troy, a six-point loss to Southern Miss, a one-point loss to UL Monroe. Yep. If you just flip two of those three, you're fine. You're there. Mm-hmm. You're right. You know, and you just you're not winning the close ones. You're not beating the good teams. You're not winning the bad teams. You're not consistent. You know, and that App State win just seems like an aberration, and more about App State than just Texas State. And you know, a month ago we thought maybe that was going to be the start of kind of a good trend, and just it just sure. hadn't turned out that way yep all right with that being said we got one more game no i'm kidding uh (laughs) but michigan state (laughs) did beat rutgers 27 21 mallory hardly was uh our correspondent for that so there you go mallory you do not have to you do not have to actually become a a rutgers fan i watched the whole game for you guys just so you wouldn't have to free (laughs) free of charge So is Mel is Mel Tucker about to sign another extension? Oh, I really, have. you know, that DC needs to be fired. That's what I'm saying about that. But anyways, <laughs> that's besides the point. There's our there's our Rutgers correspondence from <laughs> our very own uh, Michigan State beat writer Mallory Hartley. So there you go. <laughs> DCTF Big Ten. Let's go, baby. Big Ten. I'm saying hey, look, it needs let's... to be Mallory's big thoughts, but like the B and then one. And then ah, like the big, that's nice. Big Ten. Listen, listen, Mike Craven. You saw a Big Ten game in Austin yesterday, so you might you might want to move up to <laughs> you might want to move up to the Big Ten with that. So that's true. That's true. That was my uh, kind of game too. Iowa scored more offensive touchdowns than Texas yesterday. I think that's yeah, that's wild. About, that says a lot. So. Texas's defense scored more touchdowns than Texas's <laughs> offense yesterday. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. That's a really Man, that's good point. Awful. All right. With that being said, let's take a shot at Anna before we head out. We have interviewed 13, <laughs> of the, 12 of the eventual 13 FBS head coaches. Shout out Sam Houston State. Jimbo Fisher, please, for the love of God, give us a call because might be asking somebody else to give us a call in a couple months. So <laughs> with that being said, even though they lost to Michigan State, go Rutgers. <laughs>